we're going to be picking it up in verse 35 with just a little bit of narration in advance of that. The title today, it can really be applied pretty much on anything within the word, but I felt that with regard to what we have studied, this was important. This actually was something that happened in Ahab's time, dealing with a wily character who has been demoted by God, and that's Benadab. He was one that uh, was an adversary of Israel. And the reason that he is important right now is because of realizing that he had no power over the God of the mountains, of the hills. He also discovered he had no power over God, who was the God also of the valleys. It was one of the last endeavors that he tried to vanquish Israel. And of course, God did not give him the victory. God gave Israel the victory. Ahab was privileged to have men raised up as warriors and take on that army. And when we had last looked, though, one of the things that we had seen in his demotion was a pact that he made with Ahab. The pact was to appeal, obviously, for mercy. He was knowing that his time right now as a big player on the scene was limited. And so we saw that in the conclusion of our teaching, Ahab made a treaty. This treaty was not God's will. The treaty seemed to have been conducted for the purpose of perhaps on the one side that they might live, Menadab, his kingdom, his people. For Ahab, it would appear that it was out of both convenience and compromise. And so even in the title today, Demise is Disguised, demise simply means termination. It means an end. Very often we've heard it with regard to homes that have suffered neglect over the years, and they begin to fall apart without being repaired or tended, then ultimately they get bulldozed. Something else takes its place. In the same way, we're not unfamiliar with, at times, having been in our flesh in disguise, being someone else other than whom God had purposed for us to be. Most of us came out of disguise. We veiled it in either what we did, what we wore, who we hung out with, who we attempted to perhaps maybe even have a relationship with that was not purposed by God. It led to compromises in our life. It was a veiled attempt at fighting what the Lord himself says he can do, and that's the battle of the flesh over the spirit. And that's what God has always intended for us to be, is spiritual 
people that have a relationship with him and are empowered by him to live a life that's highly productive, very spiritual. And so we can all cite probably from memory the times in which we would say, oh, I got that wrong. Why did I do that? How did I permit myself to enter into that transaction? Because what we're going to see here is that God was very displeased that Ahab had done what he did, and that was stick out the right hand of fellowship and barter and alliance with Benadab. Because Benadab actually had been on God's judgment roster. God was going to take him out. It probably, as you might remember, reflects on a time in which preceding King David, King Saul, had been given a mission. What he failed to do was to satisfy completely that mission, and that was to execute a king that he was to challenge in the name of the Lord and to judge by God's standard. That king was one who would ultimately survive and lead to other repercussions down the road. He didn't have a lot of time, but he had time enough to have a son that would be raised up later on and be a thorn in Israel's side. Agag was the king. Samuel had to come in and do the judgment that was under Saul to do. And this has almost that same kind of look to it. So as we move into this, let's see its relationship even in principles that are shared with us in Romans. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. And then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. So in the time of the prophets, which this does represent, we're more familiar right now with two of the great prophets, Elijah and now Elisha paired up with him. They're on the scene. And so they've already become companions in being able to prophesy, to be able to have the word of the Lord heard as they're led by the Lord. But remember, even in this, Elijah had missed, because he went through a time of great testing, that there were other prophets in the land that God had saved for himself, hadn't bowed the knee, given their heart over to Baal. This is one of those prophets. We don't know much of him except that he is going to be employed by the Lord to give a word to Ahab because of Ahab's disobedience 
and allowing Benadab to live. We have problems even in our day and age right now where there are certain things that we allow to live within us. We allow to live beside us. Now, we're not talking about the judgment that's right now before us because we're not to take vengeance into our own hands, but it does mean that we can, even like David, come to terms with the things that have been persuading us, have tried to form alliances with us, have created us to be compromisers as opposed to those who are structured in the Word of God. What is it that God would have me do today? How is it that I am to live in this moment? What is it that I shall say when the Spirit compels me to say? And so as this judgment has come upon this man, he had an obligation. I need to be stricken. And you'd ask yourself, my goodness, what if that of humanity's sake, you know, just being a nice guy, a gentle person, he couldn't just haul off and whack this guy that told him to beat him. In our day, it was a beat him up. In these days, it's a beat down. I'm not sure which is right. But it wasn't for him to argue. And what we need to assume right now is that he was aware that this was a prophet, a man of God who was speaking a holy word to him. And the reason that we're able to say that this was important was the consequence of it. God has allowed this one who was disobedient, even if you might say, my goodness, that's ruthless, that's hard. It seems to me for God to expect a guy to duke one of the holy men, the prophets of the land. But he wasn't asked to give an opinion. He was simply asked to obey. The obedience was important because of what the prophet needed to do in presenting himself to Ahab. Ahab would have to see one that, like his troops, would be not so conspicuous because Ahab was one who was keeping his eye on what God was doing. He always had in the back of his mind an alternative plan to what God had given to him to be mindful of and to obey. So this man is eaten by a lion. The prophet is true in what came to pass. Verse 37, he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. So this probably is what you would say, interesting, is it because he used the word please? Worse, thank you. The emphasis here is that this man, knowing very much that this prophet was serious about what he was asking, went ahead and satisfied that. The reason being is how the prophet is going to be used. Can you imagine asking that of somebody, beat you up, beat me up, hit me hard for God, do it, let me have it. 
I mean, you and I probably would say that probably would be a challenge to my Christianity to ask somebody to just go ahead and pop me one. We tend to be those who avoid violence or being hit by even circumstances. If you had a hard circumstance that was going to be presenting itself to you that God might receive glory and get a message to a world that was plummeting to destruction, to demise, would you take a hit? Would you be one that would say, in the name of the Lord, with the heart of God, let me have it, give it to me? And most of us would probably have some time to spend on that one. But the bottom line is, is that God does make allowances for us to be stricken, afflicted, hurt badly, to be actually presented before a world that doesn't know right from wrong. Many of the events that you say have been hard, bloody, very difficult for you, painful, beyond measure, God is using. And he's using that circumstance and situation to deliver a message, not by the brutality of it, but by your obedience in it. What is the Lord saying through your life as you've received a pummeling, an allowance from God to be pummeled by perhaps one unknown to you or perhaps by those who are known by you for a world that doesn't know God. You can review the circumstances. You can review the hardships. We've all been going through it. Do you worship God in the same manner? Is he still your Lord? You know, for many hardships, difficulties, Brutal, unexpected events have turned people from God. I won't go through that. I can't handle that. That's not for me. I'm not big enough for it. There will always be something that God will allow and will require of you that his glory might be seen by a world that is reactionary What the world wants to do is to follow its own inclinations, which is its strategies, the way that it wants things done. We're at war right now with culture, the culture and the cross, who and what shall prevail. This man obeyed. That's all we know of him. He obeyed that this man could now continue on in obedience in meeting up with Ahab. Then the prophet departed, waited for the king by the road, and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now this disguise would be different than what the implication of the title is. The title is meant in 
its definition to say that there is something contrary to the way that we are to be, something that's just not true about the way that we're perhaps living. This disguise right now was intended to get the prophet into where he would have audience with Ahab. Sometimes in our walks with the Lord, he allows us to be with those who are earthy, those who, as we intercept them, are able to see that we're able to identify with the things that they're going through, the challenges that they have. I got here early this morning and we had a gentleman on the bench covered with cardboard and some blankets and other stuff, other paraphernalia. When I drove in, Dale had a big piece of four by four, probably about 12 inches of it, and a baggie. I said, where's that? What's that from? Well, there was a guy over there. I saw him this morning, and he was sleeping soundly, and I was determining what would I do if he awoke from his slumber. How would I be? What would I say? That's as far as it went. But then as Dale began to clean up that person's place of rest, in the baggie I saw basically little tiny shots of liquor. And so he probably wasn't resting in the Lord, though he was by a place of the Lord. And he was probably still schnockered from his little tiny bottles. And so, I don't know what happened to him. He was so close, though. He was so close to God here, but so far from what the bag seemed to have presented as a tale of his life. Somebody that perhaps gave up on God, maybe someone who never heard of God, was I at fault for not kicking him and awaking him. I had no conviction with regard to that. What I did was allow him to rest. Sometimes those people actually will awaken just at about church and they get a cup of coffee and they get invited in and a chair that they can sit in. But in this case, what was left was a remnant of decisions that he had made. Beaten up by life, don't know. Wrong concept of God, I'm not sure. But he was that close to the house of God and yet gone. When the best thing that he could have done was to have come into the house of the Lord. In this disguise, he is not going to be easily read And so verse 39 says, Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me, 
and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And what this prophet is doing right now is using a technique that is going to bring or should bring conviction to Ahab on a charge that he knew in his heart he was responsible for, which was not to form an alliance with Benadab, but to kill him because everything that Benadab was was contrary to God, even as what Ahab was was contrary to God. How do you work out two distinctions between two men that are contrary to the will of God? One was closer to the heart of God than the other. That would have been Ahab. You know those kinds of people that have a history with God, have the potential of doing great things for God, have moved in a lineage that God has allowed. That's one of the things that we're discovering about Ahab is that he was desperately wicked. He led his entire nation astray, and yet it would seem that the patience of God was allowed to be seen, not in judgment that terminated him, and what you and I would have said, he should have been gone a long time ago, but in the inexhaustible, seemingly patience of God, that he might turn from his evil. So this is an illustration. It's similar to what Nathan used to convict David of his transgression, of his immorality. Verse 40, while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Verse 41, And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. So the reason that he had to ask for a cruelty upon himself was that he was a recognized personality a prophet who had probably been accomplished in his time. And this was the means by which he was willing to subject himself to brutality that he might achieve the work of God. That's all there is to it. He didn't take advantage of his reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He fit in because there was nothing that by presentation was outstanding about him. Kind of has a picture of what the Lord was assigned to do, what he gave himself over to do, to come as one of no reputation and to take a beating that he didn't deserve in place of us. There is some similarity in that. The word of the Lord goes out to Ahab. Ahab is able to make a deduction. Oh, then as you have said, so it shall be your judgment. And so he recognizes him as one of the prophets. And then he said to him, thus says the Lord, this is the prophet speaking, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. 
Therefore, your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel, notice this, verse 43, went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. That was his capital. That was where he governed from. But where David had been confronted by Nathan in an illustration that touched his heart, we have this king, rather than repenting, penning even as we read in 51, what David was able to transact in honesty. He just goes his way to his house and it says, sullen and displeased. There are people today who take opportunities that the Lord has given for a renewal of their soul, for an experience that truly is transformative, not conformative, but transformative. And yet when they hear their opportunity and when they realize that all it requires of them is to acknowledge what the scriptures define for us as sin, the willful act of contrary behavior against a holy God. Judgment on them, as you've said, judgment on you, but me, just going to go away sullen and displeased. We will find out in the next series of teachings that Ahab does end up acknowledging his error. And you'll find out what God makes an allowance for, which is why when we go back to a song that we sung in the beginning, amazing grace, amazing grace. How can he do that? But we stop here because I want to go through some principles right now when we discuss how is it that people can be as they are? How is it that perhaps even in this title today, it might fit to most of us? Demise is disguised. How is it that we can avoid, if you would, a dismantling of who we are as spiritual beings, as those who follow the Lord and as a church who is to present itself as a bride? And then how can we do it in a manner in which all of a sudden we do not put ourselves under the yoke of the law, but literally are living out in liberty grace that has constraint, has reasonable expectations, affords opportunity to enjoy who we are in personality without confusing people with regard to a disciplined life, a productive life. So I'm going to take you, I believe quickly, to Romans, if you'll turn there. Chapter 1 is where I'll start this principal journey. Because this does tell us about a wrath that God has appointed it says in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You see, a contemporary illustration, though it's not new, just comes veiled differently today. Lust disguises itself as love. Love is disguising itself as options. Murder is describing itself or disguising itself as righteous anger. Just payback. Truth is being disguised as my truth, not his truth. And so it is happening. We could continue on down the list. But God says that there will be a judgment and it will be revealed from heaven and it will come down upon people on earth. The suspension that we see right now, which it is, is this time in which God gives the allowance for people who are at enmity with God to repent, not to walk away and sullenly, disappointingly say, well, that's too hard, that's unfair, that's unreasonable, that couldn't be God. And the scriptures go on to tell us that the importance right now in this pertains to how God has manifested himself in truth. He's manifested to mankind. It says his invisible attributes in verse 20, they're clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Ahab, you're without excuse. Benadab, you're without excuse. Culture of today, you're without excuse. It tells us what happens when that's ignored, and it goes from bad to worse. The corruption of a people reserved, ultimately, for God's pleasure. Do you realize that everyone living today has been reserved for God's pleasure and his purposes. But the ones that are able to say that, even knowing that there may be failures that are held against you by others, it is not so with God. If you were able to indulge in communion, able to know that in accepting that unleavened bread and that juice representing his blood, Reconciling in that brief moment of the reading of scriptures, transgressions, failures, the things that we would say, oh, of my flesh. Then there's great promise in the word, and in particular in Romans, that highly encourages us. Boy, could this have benefited Ahab in his day, but actually... He was given great benefit in the patience of God and the prophecy concerning what the Lord had told him to do. Repent.
Here's an important verse as we travel through this. Chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb and their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways. That closing verse says a lot. And the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes, and that is contemporary as well. Move over to chapter 6. With regard inciting how humanity has fallen, going all the way back, and the disguises that it puts on and the deception that the church is vulnerable to. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Ahab, shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? You've been patiently given opportunity to change your ways, change the complete course of history for Israel because it's only going from bad to worse. Ahab, you have an opportunity to change. Will you? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 11, bring your eyes there. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Why? Because lusts disguise itself as love. And that's one of the cultural call-outs now. Love is love. Let people love whom they desire to love. Well, that's contrary if it's in a contradiction of morality. The Methodist church is splintering and split, probably in 12 different ways, and it ought to. For those that are leaving it, it's because they have endorsed the LBGTQ philosophy that love is love. Let us love whom we love and how we want to love. But it's contrary to doctrine, so there's a split. Rightfully so. There are some that by masses have chosen to say this is not biblical and it cannot be justified. And so whatever you once were, you're becoming history. Not his story, but history and effectiveness. And the means and manner by which that denomination had started out is now ending miserably. But praise the Lord for those who were able to say, we're not going to buy this, and we're not going to do it. It's unbelievable that they would disregard the counsel of God's word to make concession to the corruption of culture. 
The remedy says in verse 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should, note, obey it in its less. And don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, note, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. Sinning isn't justified by grace, but grace is the compelling reason that we say, I shall not sin intentionally. Will we sin accidentally? Will we sin deceptively? Of course, that is the vulnerability of us. Will, be, will we be forgiven? Absolutely. Yes. If you've come to the Lord, that's an important understanding. Where do we find that? So we move over to chapter 8. Because this is really important to know for people who have failed in this area of having heard the word, responded to the word, walked in the love of God, gifted by the Lord, and yet in some moment of time, in some weakness in the flesh, submitted to inclinations which influenced their decisions, and they realize it in their failure. They didn't do what they wanted to do. They did what was contrary. And this is an important passage for all of us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're all walking according to the Spirit. We're vulnerable to the expressions of the flesh. But there's no condemnation. What we have is the voice of the prophet. Conviction. Hey, Ahab, you didn't do what God had told you to do. And so he walks away sullen and feeling sorry for himself and going back into the place that he doesn't have to have anything else but another distraction. And verse 5 in this says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You're here because you've set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's why you're here. You could be anywhere, and you could be anywhere without fault. The problem is that there are a lot of people somewhere else and their mind is not on the things of the Spirit, not on the church, not on the things that we would say is pointing to inevitably the Lord's return and will we be ready? Or are we getting buried in what we can see prophetically as the signs of the time pointing to the day in which the Lord takes us up? And it's not because of how good we've been. It's because of how faithful he is to his charge 
the promise that he's given to us of eternal life. And so God gives remedy. He would have given this remedy to Ahab had Ahab in that moment said, you got me. What I've told is going to happen to you. I own that. And so in chapter 10 of Romans, that every single one of us needs to know in the simplicity of it is what people need to hear so that they do not walk away from the Lord. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you had to do, Ahab, was confess. God is God. He gave you a command. You disobeyed. You've sinned against God. Confess that. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Oh, Ahab, there's more shame for you. You're going to have a reprieve because we will discover that a little bit past what should have been his immediate response, he will respond. But it'll lead ultimately after that transaction to another transgression. People make transgressions to the Lord because of the transaction they forgot that God didn't forget. Lord, you have my heart. Lord, you have my mind. All of me, I surrender. And the transaction was authentic and God didn't forget it. But the transgression, how did it happen? Something came in disguise. And rather than have my eyes open by the word of the Lord, I close them to the own process of, of my mind. I thought I could outthink it. thought I could judge things wisely and correctly. But verse 11 says, For the scriptures say, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 13 for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the practical part of this is in the principles of doctrine that Romans takes us through. It's acknowledging that there is corruption that is corrupting. But there is the Spirit of God that is consoling and reconciling because we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, the one who, the greater than all the prophets, gave himself over to be beaten mercilessly, disrespected among his peers, his contemporaries, disregarded, as the Lamb of God, mocked and ridiculed in his time of being presented by his Father as the Savior of the world. And so that's the message that we have to give for one who might be on the bench, one who is so close and yet so far. Maybe I misread it. Maybe I should have awakened him. 
I don't know that. I know the pattern that I usually see, and that is that they awaken, and coffee is given, and an invitation is presented. And their decision ultimately is, what are you going to do on the day of your visitation? So these are things to consider. Romans is an excellent book to be able to give to those who have lost hope. Romans 8 in particular, to keep one who from a time of grievous disappointment and perhaps unexpected loss decide to turn from God, walk away. We still have believers to this day that because of being shut out and social distance will not return to the church to protect themselves. Whatever it is, doesn't hold water. And the vulnerability of the generation that they're raising ought to be of grievous concern. How are they going to know the benefits and blessings of being in the company of God's people in the house of the Lord? How are they going to know? But we are discovering that in some ways, the diminishing of the church is related to the influence of the culture and of fear of man, fear of disease. Satan used, in my opinion, our government contrary to reasonability. And the church, in my opinion, in many areas caved into that. And what we want to do is stand up for God. We all know what we can do when we're not sick, but we know where we need to be when we're well. And we also know where to be when in our hearts we've not been walking in integrity. It's to be here where you can have refreshment and you can experience forgiveness and know his mercy and resume appreciating and living out in liberty the grace that he's afforded to us. Lord, as we commit this time to you, we thank you. We ask for your blessings on this word where parallels were made with regard to the history even of Israel, even of people such as David, Ahab, whom your patience, Lord, just seems to be inexhaustible but then where would any of us be if it was not for the patience of you over our lives and for our lives as we commit lord the closing song of worship to you as we present to you our gifts our stewardship and tithes and offerings we do so lord reverently and we do so also expectantly you're a god that blesses thank you for that Bless each person here according to their heart's desire in faith as they delight themselves in you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So